Welcome back to Straight from the Source, Michael Russo and Joe Smith uh, from The Athletic coming to you here from uh, downtown Minneapolis in the North Loop at Chateau uh, de Joe Smith or something. I don't know. Uh, I always mess up my French. Um, it is uh, May 4th, uh, Quattro de Mayo, um, which always reminds me, uh, the uh, day before Cinco de Mayo always reminds me of the uh, second to last time the Wild were actually in the second round. So 2014... It's May 5th, and the Wild have, like, no players down at XL Engineering Center for availability. And the only person that walks in the room is Danny Heatley. And he looks at all of us uh, media jackals just waiting for anybody with a pulse to talk to. And he looks at you and goes, what the fuck are you guys doing here in Cinco de Mayo? <laughs> so The whole crew is already probably out enjoying. And this is actually a nice, beautiful spring day. I'm excited for actually the spring and hopefully the summer to show up here in the next three weeks or so. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I, I think that springtime was uh, just a, a rumor for you. Uh, it's it almost like we went from winter to like a day of spring, then back to fall. But it now looks like we're gonna have a string of uh, weather. Don't take your guard down though. Uh, in this in this uh, state, you never know when a snowstorm is gonna come. The Wild played the Winnipeg Jets in the first round in 2018, and they actually had to turn around because of a snowstorm. So I shouldn't put my winter jackets in storage then. Not not yet. Wait, okay. let's wait a couple of days. You know, we have we have the ability to tease sometimes. All right, let's talk about uh, the end of the wild season. Uh, second year in a row, they were up 2-1 in a playoff series and lost. Uh, second year in a row, their their uh, special teams just wasn't good enough um, and, and really cost them a series. Um, and second year in a row, the majority of their players just didn't come through in the playoffs. And what made this one a little different, though, is that you just still had the sense that if Kaprizov and Boldy scored, that, that we could still be covering a playoff series right now against the Seattle Kraken. I think so, too. I mean, that's what made it so kind of startling in the the press conference the other day with Bill Guerin about not calling it a failure. You know, that's not our goal. I'm like, this team was good enough, even with the Eck injury, to beat Dallas um, and win this series, um, despite the cap limitations, despite the injuries. They, You know, they're up 2-1. They're up one nothing. They made a decision to start flurry, and then they're up 2-1. But if your best players, you know, scores like one goal in six <laughs> games, like this team isn't deep enough to to make up for that, right? Um, so I think that's the frustrating thing. If you're, I think that you could tell by the wild players in their exit interviews, just how uh, disappointed they were, how frustrated they were. They were asking the same questions at year to year of how heartbroken Matt Dumba was that this was the way he went out. Um, just so many kind of what ifs in the scenario. And uh, I'm sure every year is different with how they lose in the first round, but this one, they were in contention for like the conference title, like two weeks left in the season. Um, so this team definitely had more, I think, in its tank than what we saw in the first round. Yeah, they were 16-1-4 after that huge win that you covered in Denver. Then they go to Vegas and spent four nights there, vacations, and, and uh, essentially took their foot off the gas. And that's what I saw throughout mm -hmm. that trip to Vegas. And I just saw a team that just was not the same team after mm -hmm. for whatever reason. Obviously, the Eric's neck injury is a, mm -hmm. <coughs> a huge reason for that, but it just felt like they took their eye on the off the ball. You beat Vegas those mm -hmm. two games, and they could have been playing the Winnipeg Jets or Seattle Kraken, mm -hmm. but they decided to, um, you know... Uh, uh, you know, the other thing that happened down the stretch is that they decided, which I get, they were probably spooked by the Erickson Eck injury, but they they really decided to um, um, rest their guys, right? rest their guys and to 
um, almost go into asset protection, which again, I get, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, if, uh, you weren't here, but in the playoffs, they were severely banged up. They went in, guys playing with major injuries and lost. And this year, I think the Arsenal injury spooked them. But when we talked to Kirill Kaprizov in that post game, it struck me as somebody that was upset that he didn't play those final all four games and not just two, because he said that he was not hurt in the playoffs, that he just felt like he never got back into a rhythm. And I think that sometimes we always forget at how hard it is for a hockey player when you miss five weeks of hockey to just get back into not only a rhythm, but game shape. And he just never looked himself or felt himself. He didn't. And that, that was pretty striking for me too, Mike, with the way he, you know, he said there was no excuse, of course, but he's one of those players that's at every morning skate, every optional skate out there along with anybody else's. Like you can tell how much he spent time he spends fine tuning his game. His skating is 100% part of his uh, what makes him so great. And he never really got a chance to really, when you ever saw him like wind up basically in that series and go um, north and south and credit the Dallas Stars for having Miro Haskin and um, all over him. And they did a wonderful job defending, but we never saw the guy that was the big time game breaker. I had him on my, on my heart trophy ballot. I don't know about you. And then that game against Columbus at home a couple months up in the season, that was a typical, like this guy can do anything and everything. And we didn't see that in the playoffs. And he, he probably wasn't completely healthy. He said he was healthy, but you know, I'm sure something was lingering from end of the season. But when you don't have, that's why there's no load management in hockey. That's why they don't, they don't do that because guys love to play. Goalies want to play. Um, they want to get those reps, and when they don't, they don't look the same. Yeah, I mean, we even see it sometimes you get three, four days off in the middle of the season and come back and you mm-hmm. slow start and, and things like that. Out of the bye like week, right? Out of the bye week, yeah. happens all the time. And we we saw that, uh, you know, it's funny because Rod Brindamore was saying yesterday that was his biggest concern going into that game against New Jersey is like, all right, you have New Jersey who, okay, they just had this huge win against the Rangers. Could they have a, you know, a letdown, mm-hmm. emotional letdown, but then you offset that with them being off and rusty and things mm-hmm. like that for a long time. And obviously we saw Carolina uh, beat the crap out of New Jersey yesterday, although the Devils seemed to find their game a little later in the game, but but the, the Carolina rocked them. Um, back to the Wild, um, you know, you mentioned the press conference. I think, you know, Bill Guerin, what he was trying to say, obviously, was, was you know, in the little back and forth with the first-round exit, is, um, you know, they're trying, to, they're trying to build something that's going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to get there, you have to get to the second round, mm-hmm. is what I said. You know, he said mm-hmm. to me, he goes, I don't want to be a smartass. And then mm-hmm. I decided, all right, I'll just You'll be, be a, a smartass smart right back. back. <laughs> <laughs> um, you were not but, inaccurate, though. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I mean, and that was the, like, you know, the only thing that uh, that I really disagreed with Bill Guerin is, is saying that this was like a media narrative. And I, I get like he's only been here for three of the first round mm-hmm. exits, uh, really four if you include the bubble. But um, but, you know, this isn't I mean, a narrative is something that's constructed. This is true. Mm-hmm. And we even saw it in the locker room after the game. Ryan Hartman said he was sick to his stomach that this keeps on happening. Uh, Marcus Foligno said it's a broken record. So it's in that room, mm-hmm. too, that they feel it. And the other thing is, if you know, if you want to talk about narratives, the one thing that did definitely change is that is heading into the playoffs this year. It was supposed to be we learned all these hard lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, this team could beat last year's team was what mm-hmm. Bill said to me right before the the playoffs. Um, they obviously made moves at the deadline, but I think what Bill also was was alluding to that he didn't want to just come out and say is that like, look, we we're trying to build something sustainable, and 
what, while we were active at the deadline to try to help this team, if we really thought that we were a cup champ right now, we would have spent all our assets that we have on the back end for Ryan O'Reilly or Vlad Tarasenko mm-hmm. or Patrick Kane. But they went for the second tier guys, a mm-hmm. wild card, a lottery ticket in Gus Nyquist, mm-hmm. um, a Marcus Johansson, an Oscar Sundquist, a John Klingberg. So, you know, it, it was it was an interesting sort of change in, in philosophy because, again, this year was supposed to be about we've learned all these lessons and we're going to take a next step and this team's better than last. And obviously it changed there. Um, but I do think that Bill was what he, you know, some of the things that he was trying to allude to was probably something that he just couldn't, didn't want to voice completely out loud. Yeah. I mean, I think he was, you know, they're playing the long game. We all know that, you know, they have the idea with uh, building as good many picks and building many good young players and they have a really good product on the ice like last couple of years. Right. So you, he's right. And then since they've had some really good hockey, the last couple of regular seasons, um, but to say that it's not a goal to, to win a first round series or say they're not capable of winning a first round series and that's not more than disappointment, um, I think is wrong. Um, it says the wrong message to your fans and the wrong message to your players. You know, players aren't dumb. They know what's going on. They, you know, they are all disappointed as hell that this doesn't happen. But what struck me about this whole thing, considering, you know, Billy more than I do, this felt like he was shielding his team and his players and his head coach from maybe more criticism that they would might've gotten um, by putting it out there of the one hand tied behind their back. Like right. um, all these things were words that were like, Hey, we're not ready to do these things yet. So why sh- this shouldn't be expected from us versus this was another meltdown blowing a two, one series lead when we should have learned and we were better than last year. This is, if he came out and said, this was a failure, this was a disgrace. Then then there'd be a lot more heat put on not only the players, but the head coach that he has and also himself. Yeah. Um, and, and the concerning part of doing, of bringing up, reminding mm-hmm. us all about the, the one hand behind your back is now it increases to 14.7. So it almost now gives your built in excuse the next mm-hmm. couple of years um, and almost paints the picture. Like there's just no way to really contend, wake us up in two years, but come on, continue to come to the games yeah. and, th- and things like that. Continue to sell out the X. It's a great atmosphere. Continue to buy tickets guys, yeah. you know, but we'll, well, and that, yeah. and that is that's the other that is the, my biggest concern about going into next season is like you look at our cap situation and um, Joe and I in tomorrow's athletic have a uh, huge piece that we did with Shanna Goldman um, on on how Bill Guerin is going to be able to fit uh, the unrestricted free agents and the restricted free agents under the cap this offseason. So hopefully everybody will reach that out re- reach but if if you know read that but if you look at what we're painting for everybody they're rolling the team back. Yeah. Um, minus Matt Dumba and mm-hmm. a couple other of the pickups that they had at the end of the year. But we are, you and I at this point are not expecting them to make significant trades mm-hmm. off this team. We don't, ex- of their core pieces, mm-hmm. even though Marcus Foligno, Ryan Hartman, Matt Zuccarello going into the last years of their deals, we don't really expect them to be dealt this summer. Now, could they the deadline advance to the deadline? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, so if you don't move any of those guys to free up cap space, and Marc-Andre Fleury, if you take him for his word, is not going to entertain being traded somewhere else. That means that really, other than maybe Alex Goligoski that frees yeah. up just a couple million bucks, this is largely the same team next year. So is now are the expectations now been just completely lowered that our goal is not to just win a playoff series, but we also know our goal is not yet to be a true contender because he basically said that the other day. Yeah, I mean, that's where I, my, my whole column the other day was, where's the bar? If, if, you, if you say this, what's the bar set? And I think they're trying to manage expectations for the next couple of seasons, which is very hard to do when you're trying to sell tickets and belief in fans of being like, 
basically the narrative will be what will it be this year that they learn from the last two years and then next year is going to be different you know or just you know find a way with that same group and hope that they're healthy because you have no cap space to do anything at next year's deadline you have really unless you have ltir or somebody goes down you don't have a lot of space for in-season trades or in-season call-ups so um i'd be curious if this actually signals the idea that they will use their prospects next year yeah if you're, if you're gonna say we're building towards this something bigger uh if you're gonna say we've got all these nice shiny prospects and pieces and just wait for us um this will be it it only makes sense if you actually go out there and say hey we'll play adam beckman a little more we'll give marco Rossi, sammy walker uh, sammy walker a, a chance to play you yeah, we gave brock paper every chance in the world and he delivered for you um if this is what your situation is in your cap and this is where you are expectation wise this is the time where you need to to lead on those guys uh you have really another choice but if you want to use your top prospect pool you have to kind of use these guys yeah exactly <laughs> and if if uh, i'll say one thing and you know uh scott wheeler who you know picks i don't think he has a committee i think yeah. he he's the one that's solely deciding if the wild have the top prospect pool according to the athletics so you know sometimes and this is no disrespect to scott wheeler sometimes we paint this like there they have the top prospect pool according to the athletic it's not like a team of humans yeah. it's one person's opinion one he, person he, who, he talks to scouts and ex yeah. execs too like there's, yeah. there's compilation with him and Corey yeah. do it but i think those numbers can also get inflated by having the top goalie prospect exactly and, 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 and the other thing is that if the Wild trade Kalen Addison and Marco Rossi this summer, mm. uh, that they will not be the number one prospect pool next year. They will not. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that that's one reason why they're the top prospect pool. And to this point, um, Marco hasn't developed the way that they had hoped, even though he had a good year in the AHL. They just don't feel like he's NHL ready, which is one reason why he's staying here this summer. And same thing with Kalen Addison. They clearly don't think that he is ready because he was actually among the rookie scoring leaders this year. Then they just took him out of the lineup even before they acquired John Klingberg. So both of them are staying here this summer. It's both important summers for them. The question is, do they even get a chance to prove themselves next season with the Wild or are they just move this summer? That's a really good question. And I think both of us have, you know, reported in the course of the year, you know, don't be surprised if if there is a Kaelin Addison deal this summer. Um, and I've kind of been of the belief that it could be a mistake to to give up on a young right shot defenseman prospect in your pool is the way it is. You need somebody to run your power play. Uh, again, we don't know all the behind the scenes, but clearly there was a um, a, a rift, not rift, but there was clearly a disconnect between you know, him and the coaching staff of how well he was doing, uh, what he needed to improve. Um, um, that first day, I remember that it was such an awkward situation where he got scratched and he came out into like the podium and the three of us beat writers talking to him and you know why'd you get scratched? He goes, I don't, you know, I don't know. And I guess you know they said I was playing scared. I don't, I don't agree with it and. Like, what can you improve, you know, defensively this, I guess, you know, like the, the tone and, uh, and attitude, the way he described that is was very much uh, different than Ryan Hartman walking into the coach's office and said, hey, I got it. No problem. I, dumb penalties. I, I get it. You know, no need to, to have this long conversation. And then he came back in and you saw the rest of the year he had. So um, for a player to, to, to fall that lower on the ordinational, you know, hierarchy so fast there has to be something more behind the scenes as far as that yeah especially because it was bill Guerin who acquired him and mm -hmm. and you usually when a gm acquires a prospect that prospect could do no wrong for the rest mm -hmm. of his life you know mm -hmm. and for bill to already have gone this route to um either uh you know to be everything's in conference with the coaches for that for him to be part of that decision to essentially pull him and shove him aside 
um, you know, clearly there's there's an issue there. But, you know, the other part of me, to your point, is is that this team right now, like I think Jared Spurgeon is beyond the fact of wh- earlier in his career where he can run a number one power play. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that is where Addison is good. And their power play, even before mm-hmm. um, John Klingberg got here and Kirill Kaprizov was hurt and Eric Snack was hurt, mm-hmm. started to take a turn for the worse when they started pulling him from the lineup. And part of a coach's job is to coach. Mm -hmm. If he's making the same mistakes, work with him. Mm -hmm. To give up on a 22-year-old defenseman right now when you um, don't have a huge pipeline of NHL-ready prospects Mm -hmm. other than Faber, um, it just seems really, you know, um, you know, premature. And, uh, you know, if you can just get him to accept a one-year qualifying offer at 825, unless it's a no-brainer trade, I think you hang on to him, but I'm not convinced that they're willing to and do th- that. And this is this had to be a lot of humble pie for him, right? Like, he was always a guy that was a top prospect and a guy, top guy on his team. And this has got to be something that's been soul-searching for him this summer. He has to come with a great attitude and work ethic. Um, and we saw it in spurts. When he got scratched, he came back and had this one hell of a game. And coaches were like, hey, he... He got it. He, you know, he sunk in just the consistency wasn't there where come back into yeah. bad habits. And, but he, he came back in the lineup and then he made the same mistake that he always did on that Boston play where, uh, I think Bergeron either scored it or put it in front. And it was the same play that we've seen a couple times where it's like, he's just lost. Then he starts directing mm. traffic to other people. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. it was just, you know, there, there is definitely from a defensive standpoint, he's got a lot of work to do five on five defensively. And mm-hmm. you, you can't just bring a guy for a power play specialist. You can't bring a guy just to play five minutes a game on the power play. He has to be able to be a third pairing guy. You can trust out there for 12 minutes. And who is he going to be playing with? Would it be John Merrill or who's the Galagoski or who's that third pairing D yeah. um, that maybe be able to shelter him a bit. Um, but the fact that they brought in John Klingberg, who was basically a specialist to do his role, I think was, was pretty telling down the stretch. He was a specialist defensively too. He's especially bad. Um, we did Rossi. What happens with him? Um, I, I'm, I'm of the belief that I don't know if it's as much of a, smoke as far as trade goes I, I mean he could get traded but i don't know if somebody mm-hmm. offered a first round pick mm-hmm. this year for him i bet you they do it i i really do mm-hmm. i it, almost like a start over thing i think you know it's funny sometimes when bill garen speaks you have to read between the lines and mm-hmm. for him to almost volunteer like people develop at different rates mm-hmm. and you know i know there's other guys behind him that are playing that sounded to me like a guy that's like trying to convince himself of that mm-hmm. um you know and the look the reality is i know he missed a year of hockey mm-hmm. but cole perfetti Seth Jarvis, mm-hmm. Anton Lundell are all picked, mm-hmm. what, 11th, 12th, 15th, or something mm-hmm. or in that area, and they're all playing. Um, and Rossi, they don't feel is uh, strong enough or explosive enough yet. And, you know, where I was disappointed in Rossi's game was at the end of the year when he had the chance to come in the lineup and make mm-hmm. some noise. And I don't care who you're playing with. Mm-hmm. You know, people just, like, think that he should just be, you know, anointed as, like, Kaprizov and Zuccarello's center. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it works in National Hockey League. You have to work your way up. Yeah, I'd love to see him in a top-six role to see what he could do. But you know what? He's in the lineup. You know what's expected of you. And we just didn't see that oomph, mm-hmm. that that F you that Bill Guerin wants to see from him. And he showed that in Iowa, which was great. And he got a letter down there and he was making all these progress, according to Tim Army and those who were watching him. But it's such a different level, different step to go to the NHL. And he has to be a guy you notice, right? I noticed Adam Beckman when he's playing. I noticed him in the, Sammy Walker when he was playing. Um, 
my thing with with Rossi is he has to have that battle level. He has to be able to win pucks on the boards, which he wasn't doing quite as well. Um, score like obviously a guy of his nature, he's been a scorer his entire life to do that. But I'm on that similar boat of like how many young center prospects that they have on their system right now. That's how I feel. Uh, Don't like I think it's way too early. Like to you pay. pick somebody this year in the yeah. first round at pick who they trade him for number twenty three pick. Like is that guy going to be ready next year? Yeah. And you're you know essentially. All year we're like, oh, if they, they need to call up in the center position, that'll be Rossi. If they all, but then when that got injured, everything else it was Sam Steele that they trusted more to put in that situation. And you could say it's it was wrong on the coaching staff to not give Rossi a chance, uh, but they clearly felt. And I've always said, got, coaches and GMs are in the business of winning, right? Mm-hmm. It's all about fucking winning, right? As Garen said, and if they thought he gave them a better chance to win, he would be in the lineup. Yeah. Uh, about it. Yeah. I mean, that's the one thing. They're not in the business of just sitting, you know, hamstring guys and, and all that type of stuff. If they felt that Marco Rossi could do something in the playoffs, they would have put him in. Now, you could disagree with it all you want as a fan. Absolutely. But just remember, these guys see him all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, I know statistically he was getting points in Iowa, but these guys actually watch him on an alley. Mike Murray was at every one of his games. Yeah. Like, in like, like the, the, they don't play games on a computer screen. Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just say, oh, he has 50 points in 50 mm-hmm. games, and these are the other guys perennially that had, that had 50 points in 50 games, so he's mm-hmm. going to be that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just not the way it works. It's not reality. Um, and the AHL is a unbelievably different league as the NHL, just as like the NHL preseason was proven to be a very different league than the NHL regular season. Marco Rossi pointed and out. Regular so, season different than the playoffs. Now, and, like, you yes. Know. And, and look, everybody knows uh, how much I like Rossi, but, um, but he clearly um, has a lot of work to do this summer. And I just think it shows a lot of maturity in him that he is staying here this off season for the most part uh, to, to work out with Matt Harder, to train with Andy Ness, um, that's a sign of maturity because he doesn't have to do that. The guy, if anybody read my story last August about him in Austria, there's a love affair with him in that hometown and he his family. It. And like, yeah. it was a tough year for him. He had yeah. moved to Iowa and do that. He, I give him credit for like, for a young kid and the maturity on him, the work ethic, the attitude, like that's everything you want in a hockey player and a young, young player. I think the coaching staff likes him that they, but they need to have to show him the, show that ability that he has shown in his career to be able to play um, and earn that spot in the lineup. But I think they should go next year in camp and give him that every right to earn it, sink or swim, right? Um, but maybe they don't want to see him sink and then that deflates some trade value too if he comes out next year and is not really effective. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a, a gamble you have to kind of take. Uh, Erickson Act we know is very irreplaceable, um, but the special teams were completely unacceptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just that simple. Um, it, it, it needs to get better. They, they, they're too cute on the power play. Mm-hmm. They're too stagnant on the power play. They're too perimeter on the power mm-hmm. play. They got like one set play. It sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes either feels like down the wall or mm-hmm. bumper, no play back. To, it's just, it needs to get better. And I don't know how you do that other than, um, because it's going to be the same personnel, only Eric Sinek instead of Marcus Johansson, um, back there on the number one unit. Um, you know, how do you get better? Uh, it, you know, it was pretty telling, I think, that Billy Guerin definitely didn't give a vote of confidence to all the assistants. He definitely didn't say they're all back. He definitely said he's evaluating. He, he didn't. And I'll, and I'll give this example of, of how it can be improved. So, like, the Lightning had their struggles on the penalty kill for a few years, and they brought in Derek Lalonde, and who was the AHL Iowa coach at the time. And part of his interview was, how do you fix this PK? How do you do this? And when they came in, 
Uh, Lalonde said that they studied all the best penalty kills in the league. The Sharks, whoever else at the time had the best penalty kill. They tried to find the best qualities that, of those penalty killers and that what they did and try to match it with the, t- the players that they had on their team. They had Ryan McDonough, the other guys, like, and they tried to mold it in that way. Uh, it's a very copycat league in a lot of ways and a lot of films available, a lot of that. I think you either, if you don't have a new assistant coach come in with some fresh ideas, I think you have to, if those guys do come back, there has to be kind of a, just make that, make that your summer project. Like mm-hmm. Cooper would always give the assistant coaches a summer project. Watch every playoff game this year. Look for this. Watch the playoffs here. You look for this and then come back in the summer and we'll go over these different things and see what we can do to rework our stuff. And that's something that I think if the wild do, let's say let assistant coach go and they bring somebody else or someone gets different job, bring somebody in. And that's the, the, the interview process as, you know, show me a way to fix our special teams with what we have since we can't add anybody else next year in the roster. Right. And, um, and in fairness, the, that was something that, that Dean Everson assigned last off season with uh, Darby Henderson, Brett McLean and, and Bob Woods and their special teams was much, much improved mm-hmm. during the regular season until it wasn't when it counted. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, Erickson has a huge uh, uh, part Mason of that. Shaw, Mason Shaw, Mason Shaw definitely as well. Um, their lack of uh, face-off wins, um, you know, th- things like that, uh, all affected them um, in the postseason, and, and we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, you know, I, I kind of half expected that maybe Bob Woods uh, would be in trouble. So far, mm-hmm. he is still back. Um, you do wonder if, if um, you know, the, the one thing I've, I've speculated on for a while now is that maybe Brett McLean is somebody that would be an option for Iowa just because he was an assistant coach there. I would assume has aspirations of being an NHL mm-hmm. head coach. So that might make sense. And if all of a sudden he did end up there, then you then you have uh, room for another assistant coach on the roster. Uh, so we'll see what happens uh, in the coming days and weeks, uh, both with Iowa and the assistant coaches. Um, Dean Evason. Um, you know, one twelve in Milwaukee as a playoff coach, eight and fifteen here, four times here hasn't gotten past the opening round if you include the the bubble. Um, never got past the first round in Milwaukee, so not mm-hmm. since a, 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 a you know not as a pro. And you know, this is part part of me wonders if he's sort of like now, you know, the multiple year lame duck coach. Like if mm-hmm. if you can't if you if Bill Guerin is saying that hey we're playing with one hand tied behind our back. Mm-hmm. It sort of makes no sense to really ever fire him until that buyout thing is yeah. up, and then you hire the coach that maybe can now bring you to the next step once that pain's over, rather than during this two years that maybe the GM thinks, "Hey, it's going to be awfully hard with the cap uh, dead money increasing to fourteen point seven million." It will be, and again, I think that a lot of that press conference I thought was kind of shielding Everson and, and the staff and the players from probably further criticism with that. Um, he did make some mistakes, and I asked him about it in the press conference, like, hey, what was your self-evaluation like this summer? Um, and he said they met as a coaching staff, went over every single decision that they made in the playoff series, uh, what was right, what was wrong, and he said mistakes were made, the infamous quote that people have said all the time. But I really do think that um, you know, him and, and Garen have a pretty good synergy together, and I think you'd be lying to yourself if you thought that the decision to start Marc-Andre Fleury – in game two, which I criticized, which we all criticized, did not get approved of or and or was collaborative with Bill Guerin. So I think a lot of these decisions that might have, might have been made that were end up being mistakes um, weren't just a unilateral Dean Evanson thing. It was a very they're a very collaborative staff. Dina said that, you know, Bill Guerin will have input on certain things, whether it's you know, lineups or call ups or whatever like that, which is not which is like similar teams leak, similar teams 
are like we have the coaches to coach the gm gives them the players that's how way it works but i think that's also another reason why you're seeing him not getting as much criticism from bill too is because they have this collaboration where those decisions like we talked about were made together yep and two more years left on a contract you know the you have the uh, money side of it you have yeah. the logistical side of it like you stick with this guy and if the things go sideways next year and you know you only have so many bullets as a GM, how many coaches you can, yep. can hire and fire. And clearly he, he set the clock back a few years when he convinced Craig to, to buy these guys out. That gave him more runway of like, hey, this is going to be some pain here. We're going to go through some hard times. But this is, at the end of the day, this will make us a better chance of making yeah. a cup contender if we don't have these two guys in our room on our team. And, and, and the other thing is there needs to be a, cl a clear heir apparent league wide. And right now there really isn't. I mean, you know, unless you're going to go with a young up and comer that you think has a future in the NHL, like a Jeff Halpern, who seems yeah. to be uh, interviewing for guys mm -hmm. for jobs in Washington or, or Anaheim. Um, you know, what are you going to do? Hire Dallas Aikens. I mean, right mm -hmm. now there's no like, you know, the, I mean, right now there's no Gerard Gallant out there. There's no, no Rick you know, Tockett out yeah. there. There's no guys that are slam dunks. Isn't like it this. interesting if Tockett didn't get that Vancouver job? I think mm -hmm. we'd all be writing more about Dean Evison because of the relationship that uh, Tock and Billy Guerin have. Um, it's kind of interesting. A couple more let's talk about before we get to a bunch of really good Twitter questions. Um, Marcus Foligno, um, obviously, uh, as I wrote in our piece tomorrow, um, you know, that Apparently that 23 and a half uh, shooting percentage was not sustainable for Marcus. Uh, went down to not eight many this players year. Didn't have that yeah. sustainable. <laughs> went down from 23 to seven. Um, but really what was concerning for me in the playoffs was just his, it's like he took that grit first mentality to the freaking extreme. And um, whether you, whatever you think of his penalties um, in game four or, or whether they misided it in game five, all series long, he was a bit on the edge yelling at refs right in game one, um, it just seemed like he got way too fiery and, you know, he's going to have to tone that down. He's going to have to do some damage control next year with the refs because the second you start calling their calls publicly BS and Call them arrogant. Calling, calling Kevin Pollack, um, a veteran official who is so respected with his brethren, publicly arrogant. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he was also talking about Garrett Rank, a young ref mm -hmm. who's a star golfer, by the way. I uh, was in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Open a couple of years ago. He's been on the Canadian tour. Um, uh, but uh, but when you're calling Kevin Pollock arrogant, that's probably going to offend 30 other refs. And uh, and coincidence or not, mm -hmm. game five, um, you know, 230 in, uh, two of the more arrogant refs in the league, mm -hmm. um, you, know, uh, uh, you know, basically called it a major when it should have been a tripping minor. And he's going to have to figure this out, man. He is, and you're not going to get the benefit of the doubt from the rest when you do that, of course. And I think what's interesting to me is he had, he had that really good story at the end of the year about him talking about his season and how disappointed he was and how, you know, this is going to be a ch my chance to change the narrative going into the playoffs. I'm going to be this difference maker because he wasn't during the season. He was injured, which is part of it. Uh, he wasn't scoring many goals. Wasn't on the, he lost his line mates, of course, with Eck and Greenway was traded. He never really found his footing, I think. And so I, he probably felt to himself, this is a way that I can impact the game. And like Gene Evanson said, I can't have him to change the game. This is the only way he can be an impactful player is if he plays on that edge and if he is physical. You can't make him go on the outside and play this uh, perimeter game. So uh, I think it'll be on him next year to have that more well-rounded game because he is capable of scoring goals. He's capable of having net front presence. He's mm -hmm. capable of doing all those things, but he can't be that one-dimensional guy. They don't have enough uh, depth up front for that to happen. So I think if he starts next year, he can still play that physical game and power forward, but... He has to have that scoring touch. He has to get some deflections. He has to get some scoring so he doesn't have to feel pressure that this is the only way I can impact the game because he's, he's much a much better player than I think we saw this year. Steve Kazari called the major for kneeing. 
Do you know who the referee was when he pulled off a week and a half earlier the helmet and started screaming, I've got his head, I've got his head, I've got his head? You know who the ref was that teed him up there from two feet away? What was that? Steve <laughs> Um, You know, Steve Kazari, who's also had a history with the Wild when he was mm-hmm. kicked out of the playoffs in 2018 for missing the Eric Stahl um, uh, crosscheck. And uh, Steve Kazari, who seems to have a thing with Jake Middleton now, every game he calls him for like two or three penalties, starting with that game, coincidentally, when he was with San Jose against the Wild last year. So um, definitely a history with that referee in particular. Um, let's talk Dumba before we go to Twitter questions. Mm-hmm. Uh you know what's really, 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 really funny? Uh, a friend of mine named Kyle just actually pointed that, this out to me, is that Wild fans um, have ma- the majority of them wanted this guy out of here for years, and now suddenly they're all freaking out that he's not coming back, and that's how well he played down the stretch. And I think what it shows you is what Wild fans have not loved about Matt Dumbo over the years are the reckless plays, the bad decisions, the bad penalties, the turnovers. And he cleaned that up after he was scratched from the Washington game and the Florida game. Um, he l- really was quality defensively. I don't remember really any like just reckless boneheaded plays. And I think that just shows you that wild fans sort of have changed their tunes for the most mm-hmm. part and realized how valuable he could be. And I've said this for months, mm-hmm. wild fans will miss him. They like will. they will mm-hmm. realize his competitiveness, his energy and what he actually brings to this lineup when he's gone. Yeah. The, you I guess the, um, you don't realize what you have until it's gone. And I think that's going to be the case with Matt Dumba. And he, ha- he has his warts, right? He had his issues. He had his times where he made some mistakes. Even the beginning of the season, he said it was pretty bad overall start for him. Um, but he, he was played the most minutes of anybody on the team, I think, total ice time. He was in all situations. And he went, not in the power play, but penalty kill, um, five on five. And he really righted the ship second half of the year and called it an evolution in his game. Because um, as much as you, you know, People were looking forward to getting him out of there. You still have to replace that 23 minutes a night. And it's a lot to put on. I think Brock Faber is going to be able to slide in, but that's a lot to put on a, a rookie defenseman or still kind of a rookie defenseman into a top four role and everything like that. And yeah. I mean, Brock Faber was not taking anything away yeah. from him in the playoffs, but he played in two preseason lineups, essentially, mm-hmm. in Nashville and Chicago. And he was very sheltered by the by Bob Woods in the playoff series against Dallas. He was not on the ice against the Hints line, um, not on the ice against the the not all uh, D the zone starts. You know, yeah. you, you put him in situations where he's going to have to play those. You know, you're yeah. Jonas Brodin's your partner. You're playing some yep. the McDavid's and those yep. guys in the world, and so you got to be prepared for that. Yeah, it's going to be a different player, I think, next year. He's going to it's going to be an eye opener for him because and and that to me is like we're going to write a break Brock Faber story next week, and that to me is like what did he learn? How how big is this offseason? But know that next year mm-hmm. we are going to see a different player at the beginning of the year because he is now going to go up against mm-hmm. top lines of other teams. You know, there's a reason why he was the only player on the ice for the while that wasn't on the ice for a goal against. All right, let's go to Twitter questions. Um, and and by the way, uh, you know, I, I, the other thing about Matt, to, and we're, we'll write more about this when he uh, ultimately does sign with another team on July 1 or 2 or 3 or whatever. Um, but you know, he, he, his legacy here beyond the ice is, is really good. It was always a great citizen, always, I mean, you know, King, you know, just a total philanthropist, um, and all that. And I think I mentioned this, um, a couple times in this podcast and there's no use hiding it. Um, last year when I had my issue, um, when Anson Carter essentially publicly called me a racist on national television, the guy that grabbed me the next day at practice was Matt Dumba. He gave me a pep talk for 15 minutes saying, hey, you and I have not always gotten along, but I know you're hard and I know yeah. that's BS. So, I mean, 
you know, that has always said something to me about the, the heart that Matt Dumba has. Um, Andy Stefan goes, is Russo's relationship on the rocks for, uh, for asking Billy G those questions? Uh, no, I mean, that, 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 I will say this, the one thing that, um, that stunned me after the fact is that this was as big a deal as it was. Like, I didn't think it was a huge, it was testy, but it wasn't a huge contentious mm-hmm. battle. Um, and it was more funny than anything else, I think, because yeah. because he was not to be a smart ass. You're like, well, this and this, yeah, like, yeah. give you the second <laughs> like, round, and then he, he answered the question. Like, I think yeah. it's it's our job to ask questions. Yeah. Sometimes to be pointed, and these happens more often than you think. In it scrums, just doesn't happen. Yeah, it on, just doesn't on happen. Publicly televised yeah. ones. Like, how many times has yeah. have John Cooper and I gone back and forth and him been sarcastic back to me? Yeah. Like times that you be surprised. Like that's just part of that yeah. relationship when you're around somebody. All the time. Yeah. And anybody that has to be around me and have me <laughs> asking questions for months upon months gets a pass when they finally lose it a little bit. Um, but in terms of that, like, uh, like no. I mean, in fact, right after the press conference, I went up to Bill Guerin to ask him a question. Completely forgot that that incident even yeah. exists. And one of the reporters in the room said, hey, did you go up and apologize? I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, apologize? Mm-hmm. For what? I said, no, I asked him uh, how important the Iowa coaching research yeah. is going to be. Like, like, there was not one part of me. And mm-hmm. Bill and I have talked three or four times since. We're even laughing about how people are making this a big deal. This was child's play from a reporter and a GM standpoint. It just happened to be out there for the public to hear. But, but um, you know, the fires that we have to put out our reporters almost on a daily basis is, is endless. But it usually happens behind the scenes. And um, this was nothing. In fact, Joe could attest of the uh, I've, de- I've dealt with some shit in the last month that uh, <laughs> this was the least stressful thing that's ever happened to me. So my relationship with 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 um, with and with uh, Billy is uh, fine. So good question, Andy. Uh, Brett Marshall, our uh, friend on Twitter that uh, does a lot of the analytical work for you and I, mm-hmm. <laughs> doesn't it feel like sometimes we just like oh, you know instead of figuring out ourselves, we're just going to embed Brett's tweet. Um, Brett um, says, who would be the one surprise player that the Wild could be shopping around this summer in an attempt to clear cap space? By surprise, I'm excluding guys like Oligoski, Merrill, Addison. I mean, I really don't think there's going to be a surprise player. I guess the only person I just wonder is Felino because he's in the last year of his deal. He's getting up there in age. You might have to not be able to resign him or trade him next season anyway. So if right now you... I got to think that he would be very valuable on the open market. Anybody would want a Marcus Foligno. Um, and so if you could trade him now and, and if you analyze that and say, you know what, we, if we, if they come to an out, al- mm. they analyze and say, we can't afford Marcus in the future. Mm. Does it make more sense to see what's out there now on the landscape and then weigh it on what you think you could get him at the trade deadline? Um, because, that 3.1 million could be very valuable this summer. And then at least if you make a move, you're not rolling the exact same team back. And there's be plenty of teams out there that will take on $3.1 million, yeah. you know, Montreal, whatever else like that, um, to make a deal like that happen. Um, so um, I do think Billy has said, or Billy has not wanted to move uh, fully out this year. And I know that there are big believers in him, but at some point it's, it's asset and roster management, right? You have to know, if you're not going to sign him or Zuccarello or whoever else, I think he'd be one guy that would draw interest uh, this summertime or towards the draft. And I do think the one guy that would have been a surprise to me was Flurry, whether a wild card, even though he, I mean, he basically all said, I'm not going anywhere, right? So then he holds all the cards in that situation. So Mike, unless, unless there's some perfect scenario that welcomes us out, like Sidney Crosby comes up to him in the summer and is like, hey man, this is our last couple runs together. We only have 
you know, we need our we need goal, we need your goalie back. And if he, I mean, if somebody makes a personal appeal to him, maybe that changes his mind. But other than that, I mean, he said he's pretty much happy to be here and going to finish it out and and be Gus's backup if need be. Yeah, um, and that that to me was the most telling thing that Mark Andre said in that post game presser is that I asked him point blank, "Are you okay?" staying here if you are going to be a more traditional backup. And he made it no qualms in saying, I'm perfectly fine with that. So um, he's always the consummate pro and things like that. Um, and, and I'm just going to run through the Twitter questions that I grab. But if you have stuff, uh, just pop in, Joe. Um, but we'll both answer these. Uh, E.K. Singer asks, um, very, very important offseason issue. Will they ever retire those awful reverse retros and design something else like cool wheat colored ones or anything? It's time mini. Let's go. The stars nostalgia. Um, no, uh, those awful reverse retros, as you described them, um, are actually going to be in the rotation next year is what I've reported. Uh, so, that, you know, I don't know if they're going to be the official third jersey, but we are going to see them. Um, you know, we, I've, I've said this before, there are teams like Vancouver and St. Louis, it's like they have 25 uniforms, you know, yeah. we always see different shades and things like that in the wild are like, well, why can't we have that? So I think that they're going to at least keep those re reverse retros around. I don't love the reverse retros either. It's, it's to me, I don't love them nearly as much as the fans do. I actually would like them if they were more like the North Stars jersey, if they had like the black, mm -hmm. you know, lining in there or things like mm -hmm. that. But, um, but, uh, Look, uh, when things fly off the shelves as quick as the wild reverse retros are, you'd be a fool if you're not bringing them back. Wear them, more, they'd wear them every day if they probably could. Yep. A question, um, Joe, after covering John Cooper for so long, can you compare and contrast his style to Dean? It seems like Dean has a short lease with rookies. Addison and Marco Rossi were quick to find his doghouse. From afar, it seems like Cooper has much more patience and poise. What are your thoughts? Um, really good question there. Um, uh, first of all, you know, that's something that Cooper evolved in over the years. Him and Jonathan Druen didn't see eye to eye early on in his career, and we saw what happened there with the trade request. But <laughs> I think uh, as the years have gone on, you've started to see younger players um, thrive a little bit more. Even this year, you have Darren Radish and, and Nick Perbix, who were rookie defensemen. They were playing in their top six in the playoffs, right? Um, but you have to have those cheaper guys in your and make your way there. I think it's him and the, and the team – the leaders in that team helping build that culture and accountability where those young players feel um, comfortable. The one, I think one couple of things that are different from Cooper and Dean one is uh, I think Cooper is um, more likely to change their lines during games and tinker with things. than Dean is really overly patient. I think sometimes with like, let these guys figure it out. And no matter what happens, um, he shuffles the line blender a little bit more. That was a kind way of saying that he never makes in-game line changes unless it's necessitated mm -hmm. by an injury. Ever. And Cooper does that. If hey, if it's a third period, they're down three one. Let's change it up. You know, let's let's see. And then that way, next game, let me find a combination. You never know what'll happen, right? Um, and another thing is the the bench mannerisms. Uh, Cooper told me a story. I think it was Pete DeBurr told him that early in his career. Uh, was like the camera is always on you, no matter where it is, what's happening in the game. Keep your poker face. Act like what happened. You thought would happen ten times before it happened, um, and just have that. That manner on the bench that he has, the calmness and the swagger really feeds off to the rest of the team, right? The guys, he's not panicking or freaking out or yelling at the officials, hey, keep your head on a swivel, let's just play this game. And I think that's where Dean may be a little bit more emotional or animated on the bench. It's hard for him to hide that. And I get that. That's what made him such a great player. He is that, that fiery um, player. But that was a difference I think I've seen too, just managing that um, that emotions on the bench and not letting, if you're complaining about the refs on the bench and mother effing them and uh, the players, you know, 
do that be able to do that too and also get that in and the it game. has a lasting effect it doesn't mm-hmm. just end that game these guys mm-hmm. are human beings they are arrogant to marcus <laughs> felino's point they trust me i i and, and when i say this by the way i respect these guys mm-hmm. i know m- the majority of them mm-hmm. i have breakfast with them every time on the road mm-hmm. like if there's referees and linesmen they're mm-hmm. working a game that night you can bet that i probably so saw the Mar- them that's that a concierge lounge just exactly. like you are yeah. and I've talked to them, you know, in these lounges and I know what they think and what carries over and things like that. And it does, you know, it does. I mean, as I mentioned, there's something going on with Steve Kazari and Jake Middleton. It's gone on for years, for two years at least. Um, you know, you think Middleton, uh, Felino, that whole thing isn't uh, uh, going back to that Chicago game. Mm. And I mean, Kazari was three feet in front of a guy holding a guy's head screaming. I got his head. I got his head when his wires crossed. Mm. You think that Kazari is not going into that thinking this guy need mm. Radic Foxa. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just, that, that's what I mean. It's like this, this stuff has a lasting effect. So um, Minnesota wild info, Min wild source asks, uh, do we bring up more young, cheap guys to deal with our cap issue? even though they may not be ready Lambos, for example, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Um, people have asked me on this too, uh, Joe, um, or us, excuse me, about, um, about, uh, sorry, I got distracted by a text I got from Dave Mizutani. Um, people have asked us about uh, Jesper Wallstead on this mm-hmm. too. And could he be the backup next year? No. Mm-hmm. You, why would you want a guy mm-hmm. that is a, supposedly a young stud playing 20 games next season? He should be in the AHL playing 60. Every night. He should be yes. playing every night, every situation. Lamos is going to be a first year AHL defenseman. Mm-hmm. He needs to be there, not here. You don't rush these guys. Um, the difference with him is Beckman is different. Like Walker's different. Like yeah. guys that... Rossi's different. Rossi's different. These guys should have a chance to earn a spot in the lineup. And those are the guys on entry level deals that should help you when you have yeah. a cap strap. So, but so mm-hmm. like, uh, like to me at Damon hunt next year, mm-hmm. we get a much better chance of being one of the first recall guys before mm-hmm. a, a Carson Lambos Lambos needs to maturate down there and it needs to sit there and be down there where, uh, you know, Damon hunt had a really good first year, mm-hmm. first full year in the AHL. And he's probably put himself in position to get some games um, next season. Yeah, and they have they call up late season on defense, and they all you know the guys when there was that preseason lineup, yep. right? Um, so I think you have to give the guys a taste, but I don't think you need to rush them right away. You'll still have guys that are relatively cheap if you do decide to keep them, like John Merrill and kind of thing like that. Yeah, um, in the lineup. Um, but to the 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 one point I'll I will make. Um, to to the Min Wild Sources question is young cheap guys are going to be imperative next year, but it's the guys that you just mentioned. You know, there is right now with Gus Nyquist leaving a spot at third line left wing. Um, if we're going with the same lines, mm-hmm. you know, next to uh, Freddie Goudreau and Marcus Foligno. Um, you know, there's a fourth line right wing spot that might go to Ryan Reeves or it could go to somewhere else. Like I do think there comes a point where you have to elevate these guys. And you put Mermis played up last this year, right? Yep. And, and Mermis is a UFA, but they want to bring him back. So you have a guy maybe like him can, can plug in, um, mm-hmm. in that swinging role that they had a Schuster last year that didn't really play. Yeah. Um, uh, question someone had, sorry, I forgot the name. What did you want to put in your Gophers Frozen Four story, but you didn't fit? Um, so many good stuff from that trip, and it's so hard to put everything in. I know we don't have length issues with our athletic, but you don't want to make it 5,000 words long, right? Um, 
some more of the fun behind the scenes. That's the Michael Russo rule, by the way. <laughs> they implemented that this year. They're like, oh, you're writing every article 5,000 words when they could be 1,500. And then like say people only read 20% of that. You're like, okay, let's get it short to the point. But I think what I struggled with, and I talked to Mike about this when I was writing it, was if it's a whole different tone if they win the national championship, right? If they finish that out, some things in that I would have had to my story, some more fun behind the scenes stuff, Big the joking time. stuff with, with Nyes and Cooley and all this other thing. Um, those make the story versus now it's a different tone that they've had this heartbreak um, and this tension point. It's harder to have a lot of the happy go lucky stuff in there. Um, you know, give credit to Matsko for letting me be in their, their, their pregame meetings basically. And they're going over film sessions and um, bringing up the pep talks and stuff. Like I really got a really good feel for that program and those guys. And that's why I'm not surprised that Faber and Nyes are both playing really well. But I think some more of the fun caller stuff, like in the game room, um, like when Nyes and Cooley were interviewing each other and, stuff like that didn't make the, the cut because I had to change kind of the tenor of the story because it couldn't just be this happy-go-lucky story when you have a national a top that, team. That to me was my – it's funny, um, not that I didn't feel bad for Bob Motzko and the rest of the team, but I actually felt bad mostly for you because I knew all the stuff that you were getting it right mm -hmm. and getting the experience of being embedded with them, and, and I knew that a lot of that stuff would hit the cutting room floor because it just, you, you know – like well, uh, gopher fans are pained and now they're going to read this happy go lucky you like oh they're playing ping pong and no, there's still some fun stuff yeah. in that story that kind of give you an idea of the bond and what what those college kids were like but um there it also maybe the story might have been better because there yeah. was there more tension to it yeah. or there's that ending that you saw yeah. with buck faber well even it's funny i mean sometimes a lot of times even during the season like we'll have a plan like oh, this story's going to run that day but they've just lost to four in a row you can't write a fluff piece and actually we were discussing during the wild series, they fall down three, two, they had two days between games and, and Joe had been working his ass off on this Gus Nyquist feature. And we're like, do we, do we even run it? And I'm like, well, Joe, if they don't bring him back, all this like great stuff, all these people you've called worldwide. Mm -hmm. I mean, you got Yarmo in Switzerland and mm -hmm. you know, like, I mean, you know, all these people that you called, you're never, ever going to be able to write it. So, you know, there's two days between games, just write it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, at a minimum, now whenever Gus Weikwist signs with another team, the beat writer for that or for Tell the athletic could just share it and stuff. Could, could uh, just share it and embed it in the story. Um, Meg asks, um, even if Rossi had a solid year, is it clear the Wild will, str will struggle at center until they get uh, could afford to get a great top six center? I would agree with that. Thoughts on bringing in a faceoff specialist like Ko Koivu to coach our winners to be better at draws? I've long thought that. I don't know why Miko's around and they never use him that way. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that Mike Madano is going to be here now full time. I just talked to him yesterday. Mm -hmm. He's moving here in a couple of weeks, packing up his house right now and in, uh, in Arizona. Maybe I think they're going to use him as a jack of all trades, not just on the business side, but being a, you know, not a right hand man, but in that hockey ops department with Bill Guerin, but I think helping the coaches too. And I would love to see Mike Madano go out there with a young center and even Erickson Eck. Yeah. Let's be honest. We're talking about Erickson Eck like he's Patrice Bergeron and Luke Lendenning in the circle. Yeah. He's not, um, you know, but he's still their best faceoff guys, but he could use the help. Obviously, Freddie Goudreau could mm -hmm. use the help. Um, you the know, whole room could use yeah. the help. And like you can, it's a skill you can get better at. It's something you can still learn and get better at through video, through repetitions. Um, they do work on it. It's not like they don't work on faceoffs, but they can definitely um, do more. Jeff Halpern was the guy who did faceoffs in the Lightning, right? And then usually Sam Coast was one of the best in the league. So he would run those based off meetings and teach other guys how to do it. They don't have that guy in the wild. So um, speaking of that, um, um, ask you, Mike, would it be in the team's best interest to use the diamond, the rough they found in Gus to tr as a trade ship for a legit young setter from team who looks at him as a future number one goalie? 
That's a great question. I mean, if I mean, if I were Bill Guerin, I think part of a GM's job is to sometimes do diligence, due, 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 yeah. due diligence, due, due diligence. And we all know the teams that might need a goalie next year, right? Buffalo. Um, I mean, maybe Edmonton, although Skinner might be in the rookie of the year conversation. Ottawa. Um, Ottawa. Um, uh, San Jose, coincidentally, because Kakinen is such a, a you know, Kakinen won't be in the league long. Um, I mean, LA. I mean, they just tried to rely on Corpus Allo to win a playoff series. Um, and just ask around and see what you could get uh, mm-hmm. before you go and overpay him. But then if you do it, you're going to have to go get another goalie because, again, they should not rush Wallstad. Mm-hmm. But I think it's worth exploring. I don't know. Can Philip Gustafson with 50 NHL starts or whatever it is, last of a number one center, very unlikely. But could you improve the center position and spend that money in that spot? I think that it's something to be thought about. Well, there's only ways you can get number one centers in this league are A, drafting them, right? Um or B, I think making a trade because it's so they're not going to have enough cap space to sign number, unless there's number one centers of UFA in 2024, right? Unless yeah. there's a, you know they're not going to be able to do that unless they trade for one or they draft one. And obviously, I don't think Michael Rossi is that guy right now. Um, anybody they draft this year won't be ready for a few years. They're not going to get the top guys, the Fantillis and Bedards. So I don't know. It, I think you have to at least consider the notion of. This team hasn't had number one center in their entire history, right? Yeah. Or not no, many. They have not. So they have not had one. <laughs> so like there's only ways to do it are are acquiring one via trade or drafting. So or, I said this on my podcast history with LaPanta. I said mm-hmm. I I'm still old school where I think you win a cup with a number one defenseman, a number one goalie, and a number one center. Mm-hmm. And uh hence Ottinger and Heiskanen were better than anything in the wild throughout there in the in the first round. The only thing I'll say on on overpaying for goalies that we're seeing is that I mean, there are teams that, you know, I mean, Vegas is up 1-0 with Brossois in net. Um, you know, we're seeing t- teams that right now are still alive with... with Stuart Skinner is a rookie. Yeah. And he's in that... Um, I mean, you know, Bob just got back in there, obviously. But, I mean, Carolina a, just played anti-Ranta. Schmid's in for New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the best goalies in the league right now, Shesterkin, Vasilevsky, Hellebuck, Olmark, all out. All gone. So... Be careful overpaying for a center. And that's why I just would be careful giving Gus too much term and too much more, especially with Wallstep behind him. Because mm-hmm. if you give Gus too much term and, and thing, then then now you, we are going to start to think, all right, could they use Wallstep eventually mm-hmm. as a guy to lasso, um, you know, a uh, number one guy. So uh, number one center. Definitely worth talking about. Yeah, I don't Rob, know if it's going to happen, but it's definitely worth talking yeah, about. Rob Winnick asked, Suzuki's performance in the past two playoffs have been underwhelming. I'd actually go for. Um, would trading him and Galagoski allow us to keep Nyquist or Dumba combo? Um, we'd probably have to eat you know, first of all, I don't think that that makes sense. I mean, one, uh, their most important player not to piss off is Kirill Kaprizov, and that would piss him off. And, um, you know. You need somebody to play with him, too. Yeah. Need, and, like, who's mm-hmm. playing with him? You know, if, if right? I mean, yeah, Sam I'm asking Rob. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, it's just um, uh, you know, financially, six million bucks would definitely allow you to keep. Nyquist or Dumba, at least on the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, they still have one year of cap the following year, so you can't just give a long term. That's what one reason why Fiala wasn't here. He was let mm-hmm. go, um, things like that. So um, I still think that Zuccarello is going to come back, play next season, and if he plays well enough, they would extend him in two or three years at three, three and a half million. That's my gut. Um, uh, you see anything else? I'll go through some as we talk. Um, Becky Kidd goes a percent chance Wild have enough cap space to entertain bringing back Nyquist. 
Nyquist, I think they think um, uh, is much more expensive than the $2 million that Marcus Johansson got and that wants to test free agency to see if he can get that. So maybe they circle back if, if they still have the cap space and he doesn't get the, the contract that he wants. Uh, but right now they think he's too expensive and they essentially told uh, chose Johansson over him. And was there somebody who asked a, a question about me in Tampa or something like that? I don't know if there was anybody. At um, oh, yeah. Somebody did ask you about leaving Tampa in a lurch and if you feel guilty. Uh, I mean, I do. I, mean, I do feel bad. Um I do feel bad because I was in that market for a long time, right? Um, and a lot of people... And you built something cool. There. I felt like we built something there and and a lot of passionate fans of Lightning, a lot of them followed me over just like they followed you over from the Strib to the Athletic, right? And um, I didn't take that lightly and probably partly the reason why I wrote like 15 Lightning stories this year while doing this new beat is uh, I, I feel like I wanted to give them as much coverage um, as we could, because I thought there was a there was a plan all along to have me replaced, and it, and it didn't work out. So, um, yeah, I, I do feel for Lightning fans and that could replace you. <laughs> well, I mean, having somebody right there regularly would would definitely help. But um, <laughs> but it was time for me, I think, to explore a new challenge and for my career and um, find. And it a is a challenge uh, working with me. It is a challenge daily basis to work with him um, and Dan, who used to work and cover the Pioneer Press too. Um, but it's, it's been a, I think it's been a, a great move for my family, a great move for me in my career to try something different and and have a blank canvas of stories I can write on the wild. And the market here is insatiable for for stories and new angles and new insights. And so um, you know, getting a chance to split the beat with a a teammate here versus doing it the whole thing by myself. That way, you can do some national stories. So I think it was a good. Um, move at the time, but I do feel for the Lightning readers and the Tampa fan base because there is a really good hockey market there um, that unfortunately their first round ended the same time as the Wild's first round ended. Day later. Uh, they, they lasted a day later than um, the Wild, but yeah, I definitely appreciate all my time and love people of Tampa. We have friends there that we're going to see in a couple of weeks too, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely one of those decisions that you don't make lightly, but um, you know there's a certain time for everything. Uh, Jared Maley asks, uh, I'm sure you saw, you've heard that Snoop Dogg is part of the group making a bid for the Ottawa Senators. In fact, Ian Mendes wrote an exclusive with Snoop today. Uh, which celebrity would make the best Minnesota Wild owner? Um, I'll go with um, Dave Simonette and Banjo Dave Carroll from Trampled by Turtles. That'd be my uh, dream co-owners of the Minnesota wow. Wild. They, uh, they uh, donated the music to this podcast. How about mm -hmm. that? Trampled by Turtles. Who would be, in all seriousness, who would be uh, fun for you to cover? Me, Eric Stolhansky of Super Troopers, one of my best buddies. Uh, this would be so, uh, oh, my favorite like band is Kings of Leon, but I don't think they're going to be involved in any uh, kind of uh, sports ownership. I'm trying to think of who would be fun. Was, what kind of actor would be like, I would love like a guy like Adam Sandler to be an owner, right? Yeah. Like how much fun he is, like a guy who's obviously passionate about sports and everything like that. Um you know, there'd be guys who'd run the hockey ops. He wouldn't be a hockey ops guy, but I think it would be a fun experience for like one of those top tier actors to be involved and bring some some personality and color to the um, the franchise as well. Yep. Um, Sam asks, uh, do you expect the Wild to bring back Reeves? His locker room presence is obviously of high value to Billy, but aside of the quick stretch during the season with a few goals, he really didn't bring a ton to the ice or his intangibles enough to use a valuable cap space. I don't think you and I have discussed this on here, but uh, have we? Uh, I can't remember. Um, no, we but, haven't discussed it. Yeah, on here. it is. It's interesting because he, when he talks in the context of Kalen Addison, Joe, he says that you there's no room on a roster for just a specialist. Yeah. But if that's the case, what's Ryan? I mean, Ryan is somebody mm -hmm. 
that doesn't play special teams. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's not like his presence in that playoff series stopped Ryan Suter from cross-checking um, Kirill Kaprizov in the chops and things like that. But I do think with dumb believing that that's what Billy really values is that, that as you wrote today or in, in Thursday's Athletic, his alpha personality. I do. And there is a value to that, especially with dumb believing. Um, it's just they're just so cap strapped that I would be very wary of giving term, which I think he wants because he's moving his kids around a lot the last number of years. Um, and be careful how much if he wants to do one or two years of the league minimum, which I don't know if he wants to do, he wants to squeeze every dollar out of his last contract, he says, um, because you're that bothered me the way no. he said that that would yeah. concern me as a GM. Because, you know, I do think that you get to the age that Ryan Reeves are, you're just, you're probably thinking like, I don't want to take too many more punches. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's part of the reason why he didn't, I, I, it's not just that people don't want to fight him. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he didn't go looking for it this year. I mean, I remember he was hit from, Brandon Duhame was hit from behind mm -hmm. in Raleigh and he was on the ice and he, and there was not, no part of him that even tried to, tried to take care of it. And I just think that that he strikes me as a person. It's like, I've already, I've done that. Let's see how long I can stay in the NHL before I, I go on TNT. And I don't mean that um, with the disrespect that it sounds, I, I get it. I mean, you're 35 years old. How many more times do you want to get into, you know, manufacture this at this point, you know, pretend angry and things like that. And he's had a career where, like, I think, remember he hit, like, 800 games, I think it was. And he's like, I thought, I get, didn't know if I get more than 100 yep. games in NHL. He's had a heck of a career. Heck of a career and and definitely evolved. And uh, and when the game has changed, like we wrote about in The Athletic, that he's been able to find a way to do it. I just think there is a value in his presence. And, and there are not a lot of alpha personalities in that room. You know, uh, Spurgeon's a really good leader, but he's not that rah-rah guy who just, you know, that big voice that can really – uh, call guys out. So, I mean, it does value there. I would just, I would be put that, put a certain price tag on that value yeah. too. If I were, him I just don't know how much even he could call guys out. Like, you know, like mm -hmm. if, if, if you're a guy playing 22 minutes of a game and you mm -hmm. have Ryan getting in your face saying, mm -hmm. you know, you're not giving enough effort, you know, yeah. I think part of you is like, wait, wait a minute, you know, like mm -hmm. you're playing eight, no special, you know, I think it's hard for him to, you mm -hmm. know, do that. Now, does he bring energy and the woo woo and the, and the stuff like that? Definitely. Um, well, if you, I, if you lose guys like Golgoski too, like yeah. he's a really good voice in mm -hmm. the room. So you're going to lose uh, a few guys from there and we'll get people on Twitter being the, the room, you know, capitalized letters, how important it is. But um, they'll definitely, I would be wary on making too much of a financial um, commitment to something like that for, um, I went out for a fourth line that can you bring in some guys that from the prospects to go play there too. Yep. Josh Funk uh, asks, um, has Boldy ever indicated what he did, what he's going to do to get faster or is the team okay with the speed and want him to improve in other areas? It's very clear. He is skilled with the puck, but he loses out on some good chances because he can't get, uh, because he can't get going quick enough. Um, I think it's a fair assessment. Um, you know, I wrote about Boldy today. Um, you know, clearly he got some tough words from Bill Guerin the other day. Um, but I do think it's a good sign that he's going to stick around this summer. And that probably means that he's going to skate with Andy Ness and, and maybe, uh, you know, work on that, that, that explosive skating and that strength skating that, you know, we see some guys uh, do here in the past in the summer times. Yeah. I mean, I think his skating, he's a really gifted skater as it is, but I think he needs to take a page from Kirill Kaprizov. Um, and, and Kirill Kaprizov is not a finesse player. He will go to the dirty areas, but his, he'll get his, um, a physical guy so hard to get knocked off the puck and he'll go um, where guys don't want to go. Right. And I think that's what's missing in, in Boldy's game where um, he wasn't that first guy on the four check and, and separating guys from pucks and, you know, maybe getting some, 
some scars on his face a bit, you know, from going to those places, getting cross checks and stuff like that. And so uh, he's a really gifted player, a dynamic player. Uh, I know the players in the room really love him and uh, he's only 21, 22 years old right now. So there's a lot of room to grow, but I think that um, I'm sure what Billy told him a lot in the exit interview meetings was playoffs are a different game and you need to be more physical. You need to go, go after and get pucks. Too cute. You know, you can't be too cute in the playoffs. They're, I've really found a, a team that's won a cup by being too cute. Yep. Uh, a couple more, and then we'll wrap up the pod. Um, a couple fun ones, too, to end. Uh, Andrew asks, uh, who do you think will be the next coach of the Iowa Wild? Um, you know, I, I, I could see John Trichetti being willing to go back there. I, I, I think that he is interested. Uh, Mike Van Ryan, who is let go by St. Louis, who I covered as a Florida defenseman, is intriguing just because also, mm-hmm. as I mentioned, the Wild are going to have six first or second year defensemen next year in Iowa with Ryan O'Rourke and Kyle mm-hmm. Masters and Simon Johansson, David Spadzik and Damon Hunt. I feel like I'm forgetting one. Um, was that six? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, those, um, but the one that I, I, that really makes a lot of sense to me is Brett McLean. I know he's extremely respected in this mm-hmm. organization, was an assistant coach there. And the question is just, does he aspire to be a head coach? So we'll see, mm-hmm. um, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, but I do think that, uh, that Bill Guerin's getting going on that very quickly. Um, let's see. Any other questions? Uh, Somebody, did Russo appear in the film uh, Quasi? I just mentioned um, Eric Stolhansky. Um, I did not. If you're asking that question because um, of my social media where I was out in California when Eric was filming Quasi, um, it actually what happened was Damien Zutani had never met him, and I was out there. And as I mentioned, Eric and I are really good friends. So uh, we met we, one of my favorite coffee shops in California is Kings Road Cafe. And so after he got done shooting uh, that day on Quasi, uh, Stolhansky came in and met Damien Zutani and I for uh, coffee before the Wild played the Kings uh, two seasons ago. But I wasn't in Quasi. I was on the set when they were filming Super Troopers 2, and that was a blast. Um, I was actually on set with Mark Parrish and uh, Paul Fletcher from Cities 97, and they were actually in a scene, um, which was uh, really cool. But I got to watch while they were filming that scene in a side room with the director and all the actors like like uh, like Sloan from Entourage and mm-hmm. Will Sasso and obviously all the guys. So I, I think I had a more, uh, much more fun time sort of getting the behind the scenes. Um, so it's like, how bad was the decision to start goalie, switch goalies for game two? Well, Maybe. that's yours. That yeah. you've, you, were, you wrote the column that day. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's what we do is the reason they gave for it. Um, it obviously backfired on them and um, they didn't play him the rest of the series. So they didn't really kind of follow that mantra is what we do. And probably because of, fact of how you know flurry played that game might have given them more pause than him playing in that but i just think you know playoffs are different how many times you've seen goalie rotations work in the playoffs gus is your guy he's your guy going forward he had his career 51 saves that game before you have the momentum you have a chance to go up to nothing in the series against dallas i thought it was a mistake and obviously it wasn't just hindsight we said that back then at the time, it was a mistake, and but again, like I said, it probably wasn't a decision that it was Dean alone. I'm sure Bill Guerin had his input on that decision as well, but I'm sure it's one of those many decisions to look back on the summer when they review it and say, um, "What if could have been different?" Because I think the, the dynamics of that series changed a little bit uh, after that loss. That was that was my biggest concern going into that game was that if they lost badly, which I really had a sense they would, um, you know, do, do you not only did you mess up the goalie decision. But you essentially also kind of shattered your confidence level. Now it's hard to you know say if that really did happen because they, they came won the next game. They won, won the next three. game and they played well in game four. Um, but I just thought yeah, playoff series. This team is too um, has 
narrative or not, the history of this team is a team that doesn't get past the first round. And, and I just think to throw, it's a seven game series to just, you know, flippantly take a guy that had 51 saves the game before and not start him next to, I don't think there's one of 15 other teams that would have gone that route, even though, even if that was the plan, mm-hmm. uh, a couple more, then we're going to wrap up the pod. Lance has, are they negotiating with Sunquist? I'd like to bring him back. I can't imagine he only played one game in the playoffs. Um, John asks about Spurgeon, um, you know, feel good story who put up great regular season numbers, but he disappears in the playoffs. Does don't say he hasn't been the only one. It's always to go to the answer when anyone brings up Spurgeon, uh, start pointing fingers. Uh, well, I don't know. I don't, I don't really understand everything you're saying there, but, uh, to your point on Spurgeon, he had a bad playoff. I mean, and it's, it is becoming a bit of a trend. Last year, I gave him a pass because he had this, he was playing with the sports hernia. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, as far as we know, he's healthy. I know I'm going to sit down with him probably next week or in a couple of weeks. I talked to him the other day about doing that, um, uh, to start to break that down. But, uh, but, you know, it, it was concerning. I mean, he, he just, he does, you know, as I wrote it the day after the season ended, Joe, I do think that your weaknesses get exposed in the playoffs, uh, mm-hmm. as a team, as an, as an individual. And, mm-hmm. You know, in the playoffs, it becomes a real tough game in front of the net. And it just felt like, uh, I mean, he was on the, you can't deny he was on the ice for 14 of 21 goals. He was. And even, I mean, Brodeen was on for nine or 10, I think, too. And mm-hmm. it wasn't just Spurgeon. But yeah, it's it's at that size, uh, especially he's been doing it his entire career, finding a way to have a really good um, career as a defenseman and their number one guy here for a reason. But um, the playoffs is different. Um, you you those physical battles in front of the net and everything else like that. And so um, you always a lot of the cup winners have had that legit number one defenseman over the years, right? The Headmans, the Duncan Keiths, the Dowdies, um, the Tangs, and everything like that. So um, you build up best top number one goalie, number one defenseman, number one center, right? Those are things you really need for uh, a playoff success. All right, last question. Well, actually, uh, I'll just answer this one quickly. And Billy G, we trust uh, Twitter account. Do we ever, to the wild, ever do an equipment sale at the end of the season? Actually, I think they donate equipment sometimes at the end of the season, so pay attention if they're going to do that. I don't think that they do a, a sale. So, uh, well, I don't know if they do uh, – actually, just pay attention. I Sometimes it, everything changes after every season. Um, but sometimes they do have at least closing out sales in the hockey lodge, and some of that is equipment, I believe. Uh, last question, Benjamin asked, based on your experiences on the road this year, what city venue must would we uh, would be a must go to uh, road game for next season? I mean, um, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Jake Leonard, our editor today, because um, I think Mullet Arena was like my fiftieth arena that I've been mm-hmm. to in the National Hockey League that I've covered over the years. It's going to be my 29th year next year. So we were talking about maybe like a uh, good rainy day story for the summer is me kind of going through the 50 yeah. and sort of ranking them in a real quick, fun way. Um, so we don't need to just talk about this year, but uh, my favorite city to go to is uh, I got a thousand favorite mm-hmm. cities to go to. I mean, uh, you know, Vegas, Nashville, Vancouver, New York, Chicago. What's yours? Uh, Vancouver is right up there with me. Um, uh, I do enjoy going to Nashville. Um, the music scene and just the food and like, you know, it's just a really good uh, arena atmosphere. Um, I guess if you're a fan and you don't haven't been down there, I, I would suggest Tampa too. Um, they have a really good setup. I think Mike's been down there for playoffs too, to see like the Thunder Alley and Plaza, which I think would be a really cool thing to add to the, the wild if they had a space there to do it um, outdoor with music and concerts and um, the outdoor bars there. So, um, but yeah, I, I think Vancouver, um, Chicago, um, Vegas, um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of really, and then 
Tempe was growing on me. <laughs> that was a pretty cool uh, experience for I novelty. Love yeah. Well, heck, I went there, what, three times this year, right? Yeah. Uh, once for the Wild and twice, uh, once with the Carolina Hurricanes, and mm-hmm. once uh, I saw both Buffalo and uh, Montreal play there. So I actually saw four games there and, and covered one of the two Wild games there. So uh, loved it. Um, well, this was fun, Joe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, official one year is done, one season done now mm-hmm. in Minnesota. Um you would have, if you stayed in Tampa, you would have gotten your early off season before also. Like you, we joked at the beginning of the year that you were coming here to, so you wouldn't have to cover long playoff runs. You didn't even have to move. Yeah. Could have just stayed there. Could have just stayed there for sure. Uh, I really don't know what to do with myself, actually. Not used to having a season end before May even start. So I'll have to get some, uh, send me some Twitter suggestions on good uh, cabins or lake areas up here to visit with my wife and our, our pup, uh, the show. So feel free to send it to Joe Smith NHL, some favorite tips and places to go. Uh, thanks to everybody for listening straight from the source. Uh, as you know, we got podcasts throughout our platform at The Athletic. Former NHLer Colby Armstrong joined uh, Craig Custance and Sean Gentile this week on The Athletic Hockey Show. Rob Pizzo, Jesse Granger, and I had the uh, Wednesday roundtable of The Athletic Hockey Show, and Murat Etes was our guest on that show, and that was on Wednesday, so go listen to that. And Bruce Boudreaux was on the VanCast this week. Get a new subscription to The Athletic for just $2 a month for 12 months when you visit theathletic.com slash straight from the source. Billy Guerin, the Wilds general manager, is expected to join the Athletic um, Straight from the Source podcast next week. And then uh, we'll be on hiatus a little bit. We'll return a little bit a week uh, ahead of the draft as well. Maybe uh, Joe and I will do another pod. Uh, We're going to be doing mailbags coming up and things like that. My special thanks to Joe Smith, uh, who was just a brilliant addition to the Athletic uh, Minnesota Wild coverage this season. Hopefully uh, you all loved his coverage. Uh, It was just sterling. Talk to you next week, everybody, with Billy G. Billy G.